Hello, I'm John Kenny, the Relationship Guy, and Relationship Coach, helping people to create healthy, intimate relationships. Welcome to the show, the show where we talk about all things relationships with a mix of my own relationship ramblings and some great guests from all walks of life who will be discussing the importance of relationships to them. Hello, so my guest today is a mindfulness and well-being coach and she helps you to find balance in your life. Uh, welcome to the show, Anna Zanides. Hello, thank you. Thank you for being a guest today. That was a very, very brief introduction to to what you do and how you help people. So if you could just tell the listeners a bit more about yourself, that'd be great. Yeah, okay. So I trained to teach mindfulness, oh, maybe seven, eight years ago now. Uh, My background's in teaching, so two decades in education. Um, and I have used it over the years to work mainly with can- in cancer support, bereavement, schools. I've worked in schools, run some um, youth projects with Tottenham Hotspurs, Enfield Council, and um, various other projects along the line, uh, mainly to do with um, well well-being, mental health, stress, obviously cancer support all of those kind of things so that's that's kind of what I do awesome sounds good so you've you've been in a few different places doing those types of things what did you do with the kind of helping out with the kind of grief and then working with the Tottenham and Enfield what what kind of stuff did you do there right so I've been well I'm trained in uh, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy and mindfulness-based living which is a um UK listed mindfulness course so basically um, it's about working with say if we use um, cancer support it's trying to help them deal with how they can live with cancer and how they can um, control the overwhelm the stress um, and the anxiety that comes along with say the fear or um, the forward thinking, the what if, and obviously giving them tools to uh, use, say, when they're they're waiting for um, a diagnosis or an appointment from the doctor or an update or something like that. So it's it's giving them practices. It's um, not sitting, we're going to sit here and do some long meditation because that doesn't work for somebody who's, dealing with such a difficult situation so really adapting it to the needs of what somebody dealing with bereavement let's say has to deal with compared to some to young kids because I worked with some children as young as maybe five or six in reception mm-hmm. um, so what they get from me is perhaps really small little exercises to help them tune in too Daring, believe it or not, you know, children of even at that age are feeling anxious at times. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do we help them to deal with with all of that as well? So um, yeah, that's kind of what I do. So could you tell tell people what mindfulness is for those people that aren't aware of what it actually means? Yeah, well, it's interesting because it's become a really. I mean, when I started out, we we weren't really known. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was quite hard to to get that out of what it is. But if I was to say it in a very basic way, it's about helping us to build awareness of ourselves so that we are better able to kind of respond in life rather than react Mm -hmm. to our external conditions. So if, you know you're driving along as an example and you know somebody pulls out in front of you then we start the story of what an idiot you know we'll start whatever it might be then when that takes over we'll start getting angry Mm. whereas when we practice mindfulness we we learn over time and this is really important because Mm. I think the general understanding of mindfulness can often be that it's something that we can just do in a minute you know and we're done and now suddenly after eight weeks of doing a course we're we're you know 
much more aware and much more in control and much more calm. Mm. But that's not that's not what happens. It needs to be a sustained practice. Yeah. So really, it's about learning to pay attention to what's going on inside us, our thoughts, paying attention to the changes in our body when we're we're disturbed by something. Yeah. And then having the tools to take control of that. So anybody that's ever been angry, and I know we've all been angry at some point, and we all react differently to anger or use it very differently. If it's, you know, anger, off you go, I'm going to hit someone or I'm going to swear at someone or whatever it is, usually that doesn't make the situation better. It it makes it worse for us. We'll get in trouble or we end up feeling bad about something. Yeah. So it's changing how we respond to some kind of habit, of habitual reaction to something. Okay. And it does take time. Yeah. And, and that's where we come in as um, trained specialists, first of all, practitioners, because you can't teach mindfulness without being a practitioner. Okay. You must, you must practice because, because mindfulness is, it comes from a, from somebody that it comes from our practice. It's not uh, something you know, I taught computer science in the past. So yep. computer science is, you know, in many ways, you can pick up a book and you should read it. But but even with that, I mean, without applying it, it's yeah. quite difficult for us to know whether a program's going to work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in some ways, it's similar to that. You need right. to apply it to be yeah. able to teach it. Okay. So if you're going to do a mindfulness kind of training or course of your own, want to learn a bit more about mindfulness, it's definitely a point them in the right direction is somebody who's practiced in that space to make sure um, yeah of- I mean we have got a, a register now for mindfulness teachers it's called the it's BA BAMBA Bamba but it's British I think it's what is it British approaches to mindful no British Association for Mindfulness based approaches okay. something like that yeah. So there is a register and that register, obviously, for us to be on it, we have to go through certain, um, we have to fulfill certain criteria. Mm. I'm just updating mine because of um, COVID, a lot of us weren't able to continue with the requirements, which is to attend retreats, practice silence, all these kind of um, requirements a lot of us weren't able to do that because of of the restrictions so that's coming back now I'm I'm currently updating mine but yeah I would suggest if you're looking to learn mindfulness yeah look at the registered mindfulness teachers okay I like the way you put that it's about kind of learning to respond rather than react it's to be very responsive. It's a really kind of aware of how you want to respond rather than your maybe your natural or learnt reactions are to certain situations. Yeah. 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 Um, so tell us a bit more about what you're doing at the moment. So you sort of mentioned, you know, obviously that you're a mindfulness and wellbeing coach and you've worked in a lot of a variety of different spaces in order to help people with their lives. Mm. Um, what is it that you now that you're doing in, in your own sort of private practice and stuff? Yeah, so I'm just starting to build up um, local mindfulness in school. So I'm working with a local centre to start um, uh, getting that out into schools. Um, it's obviously really, really big in in supporting children in learning how to look after themselves mentally, emotionally, mm. and especially after the, the last few years of difficulties that they've had um so that's one of the things I'm doing I have a program that I developed which I use when I'm working with people that are going through divorce or a separation and um I developed that it's it's all online it's an eight-week course which is a a kind of mindfulness-based approach because when I was going through my own divorce I think I was very unmindful if there if that's even a word 
Well, to a certain extent, I was unmindful, but to another extent, I was quite lucky that I did fall into mindfulness at that time. Okay. Um, That's actually what took me there. So mindfulness was really helpful for you going through that process of your own divorce. Yeah, I mean, I fell into it accidentally, to be honest with you, because when I when when I started, you know, my own well, when my own divorce procedures started, I never heard of mindfulness. It, I, I think most of us hadn't at that time. Yeah, and um, I needed. I felt like I needed something. You know, I I didn't know where to turn. Yeah. And um, I've also had always had a really kind of deep interest in Buddhism ever since I was very young. And so my first the first thing that I did when I separated um, was actually take to take myself to Nepal. And I don't ask me why, because I have no clue. (laughs) Never heard of the place, probably never (laughs) even heard of the place before then. (laughs) And somehow, you know, I ended up going, yes, I'm going to check myself into a Buddhist monastery and I'm going to learn all about this thing that I've been interested in since I was very young. And it was really my interest in Buddhism that led me to mindfulness, because obviously Buddhism to me was then becoming quite a, oh, my goodness, you know, like this is tough. Mm -hmm. You know, this is this tough sitting in this little room with 30, 40, I think at one point there was a hundred of us from morning to night sitting on cushions stuffed in this little monastery, you know, up in the hilltops of of Kathmandu and thinking, well, I don't know if I can do this for long, you know. <laughs> All right, okay. That was really <laughs> so, intense, intense meditation. It was intense meditation. It was just the whole thing was intense, to be honest. And okay. and because I was just going through my divorce, and if anybody that, you know, has been through that after 30 years of marriage mm. and I had just been made redundant, it was like, you know, yeah. like the whole world was just, I just can't cope with it. Right. Yeah. So mindfulness to me was like the soft touch because then I was like, okay, maybe just do it a bit, you know. Yeah. Um, so that's how I ended up kind of side go. Now I've kept both, obviously, both both a Buddhist and mindfulness teacher practitioner. Yeah. Uh, but at that time, I think it was a bit extreme. <laughs> it sounds like you kind of went like head first straight into it. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I mean, I think, um, and I've worked with quite a few people that have going through their divorce since then. And, you you know, I do see how it, gosh, it totally breaks you. And um, and it can be quite hard to explain that to people because it's not the same as somebody dying, you know, mm. and everybody will go, oh, poor thing, you know. It's, it's not the same as that to others outside, but mm. internally it feels very much like, you know, you, you know, a death of somebody close yeah um it's a massive can be a massive loss can't it regardless of you know how long you've been in a relationship for it can really knock you back and and it's that it's a grieving process to that like there is with anything that we lose absolutely and and there is um and i can't remember what it is but there's a scale a happiness scale i think it was it a stress the stress scale right okay i can't remember who wrote it and um, it's it's kind of so the scale is uh, the the events in your life that are most likely to cause you stress. Mm-hmm. And the first one is, I think this I can't remember the first one, but the second is divorce from your partner, and the third one is a separation or something. So in the top three. And actually, I think higher than the death of a spouse is divorce and separation. And then redundancy comes a bit further down. So when I was going through it, and of course, I had to sell my house with all of that. So when I was going through it, I had all of those in the top five kind of thing going on at the same time. Yeah. But we don't. and, And actually, I mean, if we think about it, if. If that's the case and one in three 
people's well, one in three marriages end in divorce. Mm. That's a huge part of the population that is suffering from some kind of stress or anxiety related to the ending of a relationship. Mm. And that's not including people that have been living together or, you know, that don't go into the statistics. So you can really see them where your mindfulness training, your mindfulness course will help people with their stress, especially because I guess mindfulness is a space where it brings you back to centering and, peace and calm as as, and to avoid that level of anxiety and stress you can go through yeah I think it's 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 because what what we we tend to do is when we when we go to say and you know don't get me wrong I'm not saying you shouldn't go to a counsellor I'm not saying you shouldn't go to a doctor the difference with mindfulness and I think why appeals sometimes more to men as well than other therapies is it's not a talking therapy. So it's not a therapy where you go in and start doing the, you know, he did this, she did that. Uh, It's all to do with my mum. It's all to do with my dad, whatever, whatever it is, which, of course, there's a role for that. But in mindfulness, we kind of go, well, this is is what we got right now. Uh So what are we going to do with what we've got right now? Mm. And that's sort of different. And I think maybe that's why men are are more likely to kind of come towards mindfulness than other therapy, because it feels like they can deal with it on their own. They don't have to open up and tell the whole world about how they're feeling. Uh Although often it does happen. And especially in the cancer support that I've, you know, worked with, you know, when men have come along, they have been really open to discussing how it's affecting them. Um, and I think that's the main, maybe the main attraction. I guess with mindfulness, you are looking inwardly, aren't you? And and you are going to be able to explore those feelings. So again, like you said, maybe being able to look inwards first of all is the key to being able to then look outwards and maybe express that to somebody else to get it off your chest or to, to share that, to, to, to work through it with with somebody else is to actually really look deeply into yourself first of all about what it is you're going through yeah absolutely and the mindfulness that I've trained to teach is is what is compassion based and I think from my experience especially here in the west we're we're not very good at being compassionate towards ourselves and um I think that is the most transformational way of thinking when we when we learn how to be a bit kinder to ourselves and how to, you know, for example, if you're going through a divorce, it might be after a few weeks, people are going to get over it, you know, you know, done now. Yeah, for sure. Done now. He's moved out. Why are you still talking about it? You know, exactly. Why are you still talking about it? He didn't want you. She didn't want you. Or it wasn't working and whatever. But actually, the stories that are inside you and what I think I tell, try to try to explain to people, it may not even have anything to do with that person necessarily. It, it, It could be to do with the story of, you know, well, I got married, I've had children, got the house, um, done all the hard work. Now it's the walking by the sea in peace and quiet. Oh, no, it isn't because now it's all fallen apart. Mm. And it's the ending of that story and that dream. Yeah. And readjusting your life now to come to terms with that. Mm. And then it's also the the, the um, questioning everything that person ever said to you. Mm. You know, I think we can all say in a relationship, you know, you expected that person to always have your back and they've always said they'll have your back, but then suddenly they don't. Yeah. So then you start questioning every single time he said that or she said that, that was a lie. Mm. And I think the biggest thing to come to terms with is, what I found was actually forgiving yourself um, because you can end up going, oh, why didn't I see it? Or, 
you know, why did I put up with it or whatever it might be. And then so in mindfulness with the compassion will come along and go like, like, okay, let's work through this. How do we forgive ourselves for making decisions that maybe in hindsight, you know, we we sort of go, we shouldn't have done. Yeah. Um, so that's the power of it, I think. Yeah, most definitely. I, I've recently worked with somebody and they divorced five years ago and they were still experiencing these bouts of anger. Uh, because mm. they cracked on like they had to at the time because, you know, there was houses and kids and everything else to sort through. And at the time, uh, another probably one of those stresses was they they lost a parent. Um, and they so they were they went through that at the same time and they just really didn't process their divorce properly. Mm. And, and it was manifesting five years down the line. They were still really struggling at times with certain things that they hadn't really looked at and processed. So you know, working through that is really important. So everybody's different, aren't they, when it comes to the amount of time it takes them to move forward from things, how they deal with things and, and how they man maybe manifest. But it's interesting, isn't it, that most people don't have the sort of maybe the emotional empathy capacity to sit with someone for too long that's struggling and like you said do expect them to kind of crack on and get on with things mm. makes it more comfortable for them uh, and they try and force that on someone else you need to get over this now because I don't really know how to sit with this now that it's been yeah. six months a year six weeks in some cases so they just don't have that capacity to entertain it um, well I, th I think it's because um, and it's something that we used to talk about a lot in our in the cancer support groups as well is People didn't really, you know, a lot of them would say to me they that friends would stop visiting or friends would stop being in touch with them. Mm. And it was getting a, your head around the idea that that it was, it's like if you're faced with a reality you'd rather not know about because facing that reality means it comes into your consciousness and you need to then go, or, you, you know, it could be, it could happen to me, you know? Mm. And that's why even when you're going through a divorce and you're talking to people that, you know, are maybe happily married or maybe they're not happily married, maybe they're going through some difficulties, they don't want to talk to you because you're going to bring that to the surface for them. Mm. It's not personal. It's got no. nothing to do with you. It's always to do with that person. Oh, yeah. um, and that's really hard for us to, you know, especially if they're close friends or somebody that, you know, you you would have expected to be, you know, there for you. Mm. And I think that's why it's always good to find others that aren't so close to you um, when you're going through these things. That's why, you know, the, the cancer support groups are so useful because people have got that shared you know, I suppose as a Buddhist, we would say shared suffering, mm -hmm. you know, and because I have that shared suffering, I can relate to it. I can, yeah. I can, you know, I can be with you on that. Mm -hmm. I think when it comes to things like divorce and relationships, though, we don't really have that kind of support, which is why I really wanted to build the program. We have, you know, coaching where you do it kind of almost one-to-one -one or groups but what maybe we don't have I mean one-to-one -one or single or, to, or the one person but what we don't have is a group coming together to talk about these experiences yeah um because I can't I can can't believe that anybody will go through their lives without having experienced one breakup in their lives yeah. I mean you know, even if it's way back when we were kids at school, which could leave a huge impact on us, actually. And it can dent how we see, you know, romance, relationships, or, you know, it, it can it can be impactful for it for years. Yeah. And we don't really talk about it. So I think it's um yeah, it's really important for us. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Definitely. Again, everything I think is uh, is to find someone that can, if not necessarily have been through the experiences that you've been through, but can can be with you in the space that you need them to be in 
while you're going through your experiences like you said it, it, if it could bring up something for your friends that they don't want to look at within themselves or actually do you know what how how easy is it to sit with someone that could be dying in front of you as well right or is is, is struggling or is going through some kind of treatment it's it can be hard for that person to step out of their own space and go actually it's just too hard for me to be with you Mm. going through what you're going through because i i don't know how to again I, I don't know how to deal with that and they can move away from you because because of their inability to sit in that space yeah but yeah, yeah. Like, and then most like you said most of the time it's not personal it's just they just don't know how to be there with you in so if you can find a support group if you can kind of make connections with people that can help you and be with you in that space when you need them and like you said, otherwise, if not, if you know a bit of mindfulness and you know how to manage your own space as well, and you kind of have that emotion, level of emotional intelligence where you can be with yourself in that space, that's, that's just as important. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, uh, I you know, as a, a mindfulness practitioner myself, I think it's fundamental that we learn how to um, deal with life's, ups and downs I mean you know the reason that we have so many um mental poor well you know mental health problems today is because it's we struggle to know how to be with things when they're not going very well mm. and I think that's because we're, we're in a society that is always pushing these positive things out there the positivity the, you know, um, viewing the social media about how everybody else is living their lives. And we yeah. we, we, we tend to think it's, you know, it's the truth. Mm. So I think, you know, looking at young people today as well, we didn't have that, you see, you know, we're on holiday from school. We're just sitting on the grass playing with our mates. <laughs> yeah, you know? getting bikes out or whatever. You know, exactly. Yeah. But nowadays, the poor things, they've got, you know, click here, buzz here. Um, so-and-so's there and you know it's constant so I think it's really really vital that we know how to um, remove ourselves from those situations to take care of ourselves um, and to learn to you know to a certain extent to be okay when things aren't going our way yeah that's like it's just okay not to be okay right yeah absolutely yeah know that it's okay not to be okay rather than allowing it to overstress you and overtake you at times which it which it can do i guess or depending on the severity of the thing that you're going through too but mm -hmm. you know it's uh it is important that we have have that relationship with ourselves where we can self-soothe and we can show self-compassion and self-understanding and say okay what what's really going on for me at this precise moment in time and how do i want to manage that yeah most definite yeah so if you're happy to kind of tell us a little bit more of sort of the your experiences of relationships i mean i mean obviously you already mentioned your your divorce but what what are the significance of relationships to you and how to, how have they influenced your life and uh... yeah um well i grew up i grew up in in north london in a bit of a kind of tough area tottenham it wasn't that tough i know it sounds tough when you say i grew up in tottenham but actually it wasn't that tough when i was growing up <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't as it is now. Mm. Um, and um, my parents had a very unhealthy relationship. My father was a gambling addict. Right. And um, yeah, without going into too much, it wasn't it wasn't a very healthy upbringing. Mm -hmm. So um, I think I kind of already had um the the uh, dent in me when it came to relationships in the sense of not really being able to understand what a healthy relationship was because I never actually experienced one yeah yeah I got I got married quite young 22 because my parents had just divorced and it kind of sent me a little bit you know crazy wasn't thinking straight but saying that, it wasn't an awful marriage in the sense of like, you know, I'm not going to say there was like these awful things going on and whatever it was. It was just that we were two very different people. I, you know, me from here, him from Cyprus, uneducated, me 
to a certain extent, a little bit more educated. And later on, I went to university. So I guess if we're talking education formally. Mm. Um, so, but there was there was a, a sense of I couldn't see that I was worth more than what I was getting because I grew up in a way that made me feel as a woman, let's put it this way, as a woman with a bit of intelligence, with, with um, you know, this real desire for independence. I, you know, was always known as being a bit out there with my opinions, you know. Okay. As a good Greek girl, it didn't necessarily work very well for me. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that scared a lot of the boys off that wanted a good cook, and I've never been, you know, one for that. <laughs> <laughs> So I ended up getting married, you know, to somebody who, you know, good, good enough guy. I don't want to get, I've got three beautiful sons out of it. Um, but we, we end up going in very different directions. He also came very much from that background of Greek men that thought men could do certain things and women weren't allowed to do them. Not that he ever even put that on me because I was never one to be able to, you know, go along with that. But yeah, yeah. it was the kind of womanizing view, yeah, the, okay. the sexualization of women, you know, all that kind of thing that really disturbed, I think, our our marriage. Right. Okay. So, um, yeah, in the end, you know, to put it, you know, straight, he he says he wasn't cheating, you know, who's going to ever own up to that one, right? Um, and in the end, I I just then, I ended it, told yeah. him to leave. Yeah. And, um, you know, for the first few years, it was really difficult because if you've been with somebody for three decades, you know, mm. that's a long time to be with yeah. somebody. Um so it was really difficult, but there was also this element of unexpected freedom that I'd not dreamed about because, you know, I was married. I didn't think I'd ever end up on my own. It was just, you know, mm. that's it. You know, this is me. But then suddenly, you know, I've got this freedom. My kids have grown up. Um, you know, my eldest son had just got married. And then I'm just left with this, well, I can do whatever I want almost. Right. Yeah. And I and I have to say, I, you know, it just became this wow, like I mean that can be that can be quite disturbing as much as much as it can be freeing, I guess, can't it? Because all of a sudden to realise that you can do what you want, where your life has maybe been slightly scripted before that, and you've been kind of held into what you have to do or should do rather than what you really wanted to. I guess that can be a bit of a scary space as much as a liberating space. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm I'm in the middle of writing a book, actually. So I'm on that bit now where it's, you know, it's interesting that because I think that I think that really depends on your character. Mm -hmm. Because I've always been quite a free spirited person and I just really dislike, you know, being trapped in any way. For me, it was really it felt like wow you know thank goodness because if mm. he hadn't been like that I might have still been trapped in that right. and I think there was an element of me that really didn't want to be in it in the marriage anyway and I use my career a lot as an escape right. but I do understand I mean you know at the beginning it was just the practical things like I've got a double bed but I'm still sleeping on one side like, why am I doing this? You know, and it's year after year, and you're like, but wait a minute, I'm still sleeping on one side. And I sort of like forcing myself to get in the middle, go a little bit more, you can use the whole bed. <laughs> um, and it's really interesting that because it is the pra the little things that you don't think about. Um, but I do understand because I think one of the things that I did notice after a while was um there was almost like I had this almost need of like doesn't matter as long as I get another man everything will be all right right yeah and I think after a while I got to the stage of going I don't want it <laughs> I don't I don't I just don't want it I love my own space I I love to be able to just get up and go what do I want 
Yeah. And uh, so I guess I understand people and I do understand that, you know, it's not for everybody. And a lot of people that I speak to, you know, want to be in an in another relationship. Mm. I guess because also the practicality for me is I've had my kids. Yeah. And, you know, I don't need that anymore. Um, so it's a different stage. I can honestly say without it sounding really negative, I'm not a big believer on in relationships anymore in the context of how we are, we grow up believing in them. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think that's really shifted for me. Mm. Okay. So the idea that you, you know, you probably grew up with, you needed to be with someone, you had to settle down, you had to do all those types of things, which is indoctrinated perhaps, especially I guess with your cultural background mm-hmm. as well. That's a very much a, uh, what we're supposed to do, what we should do and what we're taught to do. And this is the kind of natural progression of life, but yeah, I get, I agree. I don't, I don't. It's about finding the right kind of relationship, isn't it? Find just finding a relationship. But I guess coming out of this now, you're if if you were to then settle into a relationship, I think you would make a massively different choice to the type of person that you decided to have that relationship with. Yeah, I also, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot there because you know one of the things that I don't. Um, I, I I think it's damaging to us, I guess, is that it's the idea of almost an, a kind of owning the person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my husband, my wife, my partner, my, 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 you know, even, even when we talk about our children, my children, you know, it's the kind of, it's the ownership of that, that person, which, which, um, this disrupts the way I feel, I guess, about relationships. Okay. I think I'm much more into the idea of allowing things to flow. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the idea that, you know, you can meet somebody and it can be fantastic, but a week later you might just go, well, it's done, you know? And mm. it, 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 it's, and is there is there something wrong with that? I guess if it's done, it's done though, isn't it? I guess, like you said, if it can be great for a while, but if it's not got the longevity or it's not going to fulfill you moving forwards, then, you know, there, there wouldn't be any reason for that relationship to be sustained. Mm. I'm just interested in that kind of what you said about Maya. Is is that a perspective thing based, do you think, on your own experiences? Did you feel owned by um, your your ex-husband did you feel owned by maybe your family because of the expectations that they had on you do you think there was a lot of direction that you should be doing certain things rather than giving you the freedom to kind of express yourself as the person that you were yeah I think so I think I think you know not to you know criticize my ex-husband too much because we we you know we we have three kids together we still talk you know we we, I don't hate him. I'm sure he doesn't hate me. Um, you know, we we grew up together in many ways. Yeah. Um, but there is, I mean, I think maybe as a woman in particular, I think uh, I've, I've felt very much suppressed a bit, you know, uh, you're not, a, you can't do that as a woman, you know. Right. It's not the right way to be as a woman. Mm. And also that's kind of made me feel a little bit like, you know, there aren't that many men that are willing or able to be with a a, a strong woman, an independent woman. That's been my experience. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean it's true. It's just been my experience. Yeah, yeah. And I think that is probably where I come from. And I think when I speak to a lot of women, especially women older, like, you know, in my kind of age, they they will agree often that they find they're not willing to give up anymore. And it's a giving up often going into a relationship. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I always, when I work with clients, I always try to throw the word compromise out of the room. yeah. Because I don't think that's, an, again, it depends how how we see it and what perspective we've got of the word. But I don't think that's a very helpful word for people to to put into relationships because 
it always feels like you're giving something up of yourself or giving something up that you believe in or your values or whatever it might be. Mm. Uh, and it needs to, you need to give freely and willingly in a relationship, don't you? Rather than feeling you have to compromise in order to Absolutely. make it. You really feel like you have to compromise to make a relationship work. It's probably not the right relationship. Well, this is it. And I think there is one thing that we don't talk a lot about in society. And that is the idea of that being alone means you're lonely. Mm. Yes, and I think different. that's a huge one for me because I'm not going to doubt that I don't at times get lonely. But then again, I was getting lonely when I was married. Mm. I don't think any of us can avoid moments of loneliness. No. Right? I, I mean, it's just part of being human. You're going to feel lonely at some point, at some times. Yeah. But the idea that you have to have a body next to you so that you're not lonely is wrong. Mm. The idea of loneliness comes from inside. Loneliness isn't a thing out there. Loneliness is a feeling we have when something is lacking yeah. in us. Yeah. And the expectation that you're going to meet one person in your life that's going to fill all of these gaps and you know, continue to be sexy along the way, which is even <laughs> more bizarre for me because I'm thinking, you know, you're going to pay the bills or at least help me pay the bills, yeah. right? You're going to be my best friend. Yeah. You're going to, you know, have similar interests in me. You're going to go along the same path as me, even though, you know, this is generation, you know, decade after decade. And in all of that time, you've got to stay sexy, <laughs> and you're just like how is that even a logical way to think yeah right because something's gonna give here right one thing or another mm. so I think it's that idea that you know these relationships we've got it wrong I think we just got it wrong you know um to agree that you're married to somebody and that is your partner and you're doing certain things together, but you also have a life outside of that marriage, not saying that you're, you know, having sex with other people unless you've agreed it. Okay. Yeah. But you know, you have a life and you are a person in your own right. I think that's really important. Most definitely, most definitely. I I like to say that you need to find someone that's going to compliment you rather than complete you. Yes. Um, but again, like you said, if you that, that definition, that distinction that you made uh, earlier on between being alone and being lonely is is key, isn't it? Because being on your own doesn't make you lonely. And I've spoke to someone, a guy the other week, and we were chatting, and he said, "I I feel alone. I'm in. A, I could be in a room of 50, 60 people, and I still feel alone." Yeah. So, you know, we really need to explore what that feeling of alone and why that is in their mind and where that emotion comes from. But, mm. you know, to like you said, to be alone doesn't mean you, you need to be lonely because if you've got a good relationship with yourself, most of the time you don't need to feel alone because you can mm. be very comfortable in your own space, doing your own thing at your own time whenever you feel like it. But there is, again, I think it's changing in society especially in western society that you don't necessarily need to be in a relationship but i think people of our age perhaps it was you go to school you meet somebody you get a job you marry that person then you have kids and that's you stay with them for the rest of your life but mm. as you said if you're with someone for 30 years you are such a completely different person mm. from the person that settled down with this person 30 years ago is and if you don't grow together in that space you know why would you stay in a relationship with somebody because again and it shouldn't be frowned upon it shouldn't be an issue it shouldn't really be a problem because you've just become a completely different person to the person that you were when you met and yeah if that's not compatible any longer then you know there's no reason for you to stay in that relationship anymore and, and it not really be a massive issue no no but it's our i stayed exactly the same it's it's our attachment to you know mm. certain things that makes it difficult that's the problem is that we you know we and obviously it's the comfort it's the comfort of the thing you know the, the lifestyle the person the habits the you know whatever it is and then and then having to break free from that and 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 create a, a life 
outside of that. Yeah. I think when it comes to, you know, being alone or being single, however you like to call it, because personally, I just think just being myself, you know, doesn't yeah. really make any difference. No. Um, I think what makes you lonely is a lack of connection. Mm. And the first thing is to be feeling, to feel connected with yourself. Yeah. And I think if you, if you're, if there's, there's parts of you, you don't like, you reject uh, you don't want to come to terms with, uh, you know, all of that, then you're going to feel lonely. You're going to expect somebody else to feel that rather than you. And you're going to need that, aren't you? Because you're not going to, you're not going to be able to meet that need yourself if you, exactly. haven't, you haven't got that relationship. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I met this guy about uh, three years after my divorce. Mm. And um, when I asked him what he wanted, and this should have made me run, but it didn't because I wasn't <laughs> quite there. I yeah. hadn't quite worked it out yet. Mm -hmm. And the first thing he said to me is, for you to make me happy. And when he said that, I did kind of go, oh, my gosh, that was a warning sign, if nothing. Yeah. Um, and it, it stayed with me, mm. The idea that somebody wants you to make them happy, mm. you know, that is um, a very huge <laughs> task. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of see it like, you know, without being sounding um, overconfident, I sit there sometimes and go, wow, Anna, you're such great company. Don't, don't, yeah please blow your own trumpet definitely well i do yeah i do sometimes that's what i do i'm like wow that was great fun today anna well done yeah let i let me try and remember this quote i'm uh humble humble enough to know that i can be replaced but confident enough to know it'll be a mistake <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh, no, it wasn't it was a downgrade that was it i'm confident enough to know it'll be a downgrade that was oh. yeah so again it's about having that confidence in yourself to actually you know what i might not be the right person for you but i'm definitely the right person for me yeah be the right person for somebody else yeah um, and, and yeah. It, it would be your loss kind of if you don't if if if, we, if we're not compatible yeah yeah but that's interesting is that red flags we do have a tendency to ignore those don't we sometimes and that's a massive red flag you know if someone is totally reliant on you or is in a relationship because they want you to make them happy that shows that there's definitely something lacking with their own kind of emotion intelligence and their relationship with themselves may not be something that you want to engage with because that's going to be hard work well i think it it it's sometimes especially and i don't want to sound too feminist here <laughs> <laughs> but as women, I think often we we grow up believing that's our role. You mm. know, we we're here to make everybody happy. We're here to make our children happy. Our mum and you know, our mum, our dad, our mm. our teachers, and then our partners. Mm. And so, you know, I think many women will find that as oh, great. He wants me to make you know what what uh, what a what do you call it? What a um, compliment. He's mm. just given me, you know, me to make him happy. But um, yeah, it's not possible for us yeah. to make anyone happy. And it's not just women, because that's exactly the relationships I used to choose. I used to really? choose. Really? Okay, interesting. I used to choose people that had, that weren't happy, that had issues. And it would always be my, I put that responsibility on myself to be the person that made them happy. So I could end up in a position where I could say I failed. I'm not good enough because obviously, clearly, I was never going to make them happy. Yeah, because it, I get, yeah, I never was going to be able to do. That. Well, actually, saying that, I mean, obviously, I've got three sons, so yeah, I can see where you're coming from from that. Actually, so I guess you know, boys growing up to think that it's their job to take care mm. of their family and take care of their loved ones. I can see that mm. actually too. So yeah, we are rapidly running out of time unfortunately that's uh, okay if somebody would like to reach out and get in touch with you how can they get in contact yeah so i've got a website anna and 
That's is that hard, that's hard to spell, isn't it? That's fine. It's actually no worries about because they will be in the show notes anyway. Cool. <laughs> when, when I go into schools, kids just give me this look. Anna, what? I don't. Do you want to you know? spell your surname for people if they case they want to reach out and? Um... Oh gosh, Z A N I D E S dot com. Anazanidis dot com. Everything you need is on that. My email's on there. Just reach out for me. Um, happy to just talk to anybody if they want to just talk about any anything we've raised here or through you. And it's been really great. Thanks awesome. a lot. Do you have any kind of parting words of wisdom or a favourite quote or anything you would like to leave the listeners with? It's actually a blog post I'm writing right now where a child said to me they had been told by their head teacher instead of following their dream of being an actor or a singer, and she followed the, the 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 traditional route and you know go to university and get a good job and come back to their dream at some point and i think i would say follow your dream whatever that might be mm-hmm. and um in regards to relationships to accept the fact that you know they start they may end but they all have their place awesome yeah yeah thank you Anna okay thank you lovely talking to you thanks for that if you want to reach out to Anna to get uh, some more information about courses how she helps people with mindfulness and well-being uh, do go to the show notes click on the link to her website and get, reach out and get in touch thanks again and I'll speak to you soon thank you for listening Please subscribe, follow and review the show. That is very much appreciated. And please do reach out if you would like to know more about how you can create healthy, intimate relationships in your life. I will leave you with this quote from Carl Bond. Although we can't go back and make a brand new start, we can start now and make a brand new ending. I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Relationship Guide.